Welcome back to The Dinner Table. This is Jim Bennett. And I'm Abby Bennett. And this is Dinner Table Politics, and we're just going over the news of the day here. Turns out there, is it 52 people that are dead? I think that's what we just looked up, 52. 52 people who are dead as as the United States changes the uh, American embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And this was supposed to be one of President Trump's signature accomplishments, I know when it was announced, uh, there were a lot of people who were angry about it, and I didn't really understand that. I didn't understand why people were upset about this. I've tried multiple times to understand the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Uh, I still don't. I don't understand it at all. It's, it makes no sense to me. Well, you know, your sister and brother-in-law lived in Israel. Uh, Heather? When, Heather, yeah. Heather and Nate lived over there, and Nate was teaching over there, was on a on some kind of exchange and and Heather came back with all kinds of stories about just how fraught with tension the whole region is. Uh, they lived I think by the the fence, the wall essentially where Palestinians cross into Israel to go to work. And she just talked about it being just a really gruesome sort of living environment and that there was tension there all the time. And when President Trump announced that he was moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, my reaction was, well, you know, why is it controversial to acknowledge that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel? Because Israel has been saying Jerusalem is the capital, and it's because primarily the Palestinians also claim Jerusalem is the capital. And I think one of the reasons why it's so difficult to find any kind of common ground there is that nobody... I mean, you can't you can't have Jerusalem be only the capital of Israel and only the capital of Palestine. You have to one side has to win and the other side has to lose. Here's the solution: you take a giant laser, cut Jerusalem down the middle, pick up one part of Jerusalem, move it far away, and then pick up the other part and move it far away, like split it down the middle. Well, how do you how do you pick them up? Do you have magnets? What, mm, what do you do? There's with? there's technology somewhere, I'm sure. Well, if we can put a man on the moon, we can split Jerusalem in half. Well, the thing is, those kinds of things have been proposed, not with the lasers, but the idea of redrawing the map in ways that will satisfy everybody. Uh, all of those things have been proposed. All of them have, have fallen apart somewhere along the line. The two-state solution, the idea of having a Palestinian and an Isra- you know, a Jewish state, has been the primary goal of the United States for a very long time, and we're no closer to that than we were when Jerusalem was founded. Uh, we're still seeing all of these kinds of, of attacks, and we're seeing all this kind of tension. But and, so who who died in the in these shootings today? I think it was Israeli troops did the shooting. Well, I think Israeli troops did the shooting, and demonstrators oh, were man. shot. But more than fifty two were injured. It was I, mean, I think it was no 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 like two thousand people more than two thousand people were injured. Fifty two died. Fifty two so died, far. and over two thousand were injured. I'm sure more will will end up after all of this. Right. Well, the the problem is that the controversy over Jerusalem and the controversy over Israel goes back thousands of years. This is not something that I think that can be solved through traditional political negotiation. It's deep rooted in people's faith and what people believe. Uh, the, The Jewish people believe that they have an ancestral right to that land. And the Palestinians believe that they have been driven unfairly from their homes. And even though that happened, what, 70, 80, 90 years ago when the state of Jerusalem was founded, uh, the, the, the wounds are still fresh. 
people still look at this. And, and I don't see it, – it's been interesting to watch the Israeli reaction as well to President Trump's decision to withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal. What's been your reaction to, to that? Um, wait, why, why would the Israeli people care about that? Well, because Iran uh, – Prime Minister Netanyahu did a big, huge presentation showing how Iran has been in violation of the deal with a big PowerPoint slide that said Iran mm, lied. PowerPoint. Yes, PowerPoint. That'll get them. <laughs> That'll get them. But uh, Israel has been extraordinarily critical of the Iran nuclear deal, and for good reason. My reaction to the Iran nuclear deal, the withdrawing particularly, is that the deal wasn't really being enforced. It was a lousy deal to begin with. It didn't really have, it wasn't an actual treaty. It wasn't agreed upon by Congress. It wasn't agreed, you know, I mean, it's just sort of this handshake deal that said, okay, we'll lift sanctions if you promise not to build bombs for a while. There was a sunset provision where they would be able to build bombs after that. So it was a lousy deal from day one. And now that we've withdrawn from it, everybody's upset about it. And my reaction is, I don't know that it changes much of anything, because if a deal isn't being honored, do you really have a deal in the first place? I don't know. I've never read The Art of the Deal by Donald Trump. Well, I don't so think Donald Trump has ever read The Art of the Deal by Donald that's Trump. That's definitely true. Have you, have you ever read the article that was written by his ghostwriter? That's no. the most chilling thing you can possibly read. No, I haven't read it. Well, yeah, his ghostwriter tried to was trying to write the book. He was he was hired to write the book, and so he tried to sit down with Donald Trump and go through a series of interviews to just to get to know him, to get to know his voice. And Donald Trump got bored. He, I mean, he kept trying to stand. He's like he couldn't sit still for more than two minutes at a time. So the only way they could write it was if. Donald Trump agreed to essentially wiretap all of his phone conversations and everything. So this, this guy just listened in to everything Donald Trump was saying to everybody and just sort of picked up stories that way. I hope he was getting paid a lot. I think he was. And, and uh, But uh, his reaction is Donald Trump has not read a single book in his entire adult life. <laughs> And I don't know that Donald Trump has ever read his own book. I don't know that he's ever had the discipline to be able to sit down. He sits and watches well, television. how is he supposed to re- renegotiate a new deal for us? Well, there are lots of people who come to the table for that kind of thing. And, and that's the biggest challenge here is that, okay, the Iran nuclear deal is dead. It was a lousy deal. So what's going to replace it? And right now it looks like nothing is going to replace it, which means that Iran will you know, barrel forward trying to get nuclear weapons. I think they have far more capacity than we, we realize at this point. And I think the reason why Israel is so interested is Iran is far less likely to use any kind of a nuclear weapon on the United States than they are on Israel. Israel's their their next-door neighbor, and Israel is a state that they want to see wiped off the face of the earth. And if they have the technology to do that, then then, uh, that's a very scary place for Israel to be. And throughout the entire deal, Israel has said that they would be willing to take steps to unilaterally strike against Iran if if the world community isn't willing to do that. And right now, I have absolutely no idea how any of this is going to play out, but I'm sure you do. I'm sure you have the the answers. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, I'm so glad everyone's coming to me now for answers. Just kidding. I don't don't know anything. I don't know anything about the Iran deal at all. Well, you know, it's it's getting more and more difficult for anybody to get better informed. I'm just looking at the news that came across the board here. 
the Salt Lake Tribune is laying off a third of its workforce, and that comes after years after the Deseret News laid off 42% of its workforce. I used to work for the Deseret News as a contractor. I had a column with them. I and, remember. And I, and I wrote editorials for them. I was never an employee of the Deseret News. Uh, but uh, newspapers all across the world are just collapsing and imploding in terms of circulation. And I'd be willing to bet you've probably never sat down and read a newspaper in your entire life. False. We used to get the cartoons every Sunday. Yeah? I would always read the cartoons. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean... I didn't that mean. was like a big part of our childhood. Well, when did it stop? We haven't gotten we, a paper here for how many years? I, I remember also in elementary school, I used to go out every morning and get the paper and look at the weather so I would know how to dress. Like, oh, okay. like an 80-year-old man, I would like wear my robe out <laughs> and read the read the weather and then go dress accordingly. But I think we stopped getting it. I don't remember ever doing that after elementary school. And you're much, much older now. I'm much, much older. Probably like 10 years ago. Well, I just remember being up at Mom's and, and seeing my Aunt Medine reading the funnies in the newspaper and just thinking how anachronistic that is, how that doesn't happen anymore. I read Dilbert pretty much every week, but I, every day, but I do it online. So I'm betting when you check the weather, how do you check the weather now? My phone. Your phone. And that's the, the reality is the business model has changed. I love checking the weather. It makes me feel in control of, of my life. And of the weather? Are you in control of the weather? I, I just, I just like acknowledging the power mother nature has over me and, and, okay. and dressing. Dressing to acknowledge that. All right. Well, but <laughs> but you don't need to get by the time a, a you know a tree is killed and and ink is printed on it and it's dumped on your front door. Uh, the information in there about the weather is out of date. Yeah, I, we just learned about the the killings in in Israel like five minutes ago. I just saw it on Twitter. Right. That's how I learned. Right. And so the business model for how to do that, uh, nobody's figured that out yet. I remember when I first started working with the Deseret News, uh, they were telling me that one of the biggest problems they had was that newspapers used to make huge money, or at least the lion's share of their money, off of classified ads. Do you, have you ever even seen a classified ad? Do you even know what a classified ad is? Yeah, they talk about it in the Pina Colada song. <laughs> That's right. They do. He, like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. Right. Well, so, so he took out a personal ad. Yeah. Yeah. The classified ad section was essentially just a, a section of the paper. It was a printed Craigslist is essentially what it was. Except probably less creepy. Uh, not necessarily. Classified ads could be pretty creepy. Mm, you you apparently haven't haven't discovered the bowels of Craigslist. No, I guess I could dig deeper and discover Craigslist. Scary place. Well, I don't think I've ever bought anything off of Craigslist. I bought stuff off of KSL.com. Uh, anyway, when we, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about this. This is Dinner Table Talk. This is Dinner Table Politics. Dinner Table Politics. Sorry. Yeah, make fun of me. Dinner Table Politics. Stay tuned. All right. So we're back. Um, Want to switch gears. You, know, you, you were saying that you don't think we have discussed what's happening in Israel with the requisite respect as what it deserves. I don't think I said it that eloquently, but yeah. Well, it, the, the, the challenge there is I'm just not quite sure 
what else there is to say. It's a horrific thing. Uh, so many people have lost their lives. So many people have been injured. And there doesn't seem to be any kind of short-term or long-term solution to dealing with the problem. So that becomes the challenge. And I think we make things worse sometimes with the way that we address it. Uh, Mitt Romney has publicly criticized President Trump's choice for the pastor who was to give the invocation or the dedication. I'm not sure what they're describing it as. Um, but he's giving a prayer. The U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem, the pastor's name is Robert Jeffries. Do you think he's still going to give it after this? I Well, I don't, he may have already have given it. I'm not sure when that's actually happened. Um, should we stop this and go back and check and see if that's happened? I don't know. <laughs> um, Robert Jeffries has come out and slammed Jews. He slammed Mormons. He slammed. What does that mean, Islam. slammed? Well, some quotes from Robert Jeffries. He says, You can't be saved by being a Jew. Mormonism is a heresy. Wait, so he asked a person who said that to go say the prayer at the embassy in Jerusalem? That is correct. What? He's, all, he's also said Mormonism is a heresy from the pit of hell. Oh. So that's nice to know. And it, it, during the 2012. He has a lot of opinions, apparently. He does. His response is that this is mainstream Christianity. Historic Christ- this is Robert Jeffries. Uh, historic Christianity has taught for 2,000 years that salvation is through faith in Christ alone. The fact that I, along with tens of millions of evangelical Christians around the world, continue to espouse that belief is neither bigoted nor newsworthy. So the fact that Mormons, who also believe in Jesus Christ, are straight from the pit of hell... That's not newsworthy. That's not bigoted for somebody to stand up and say that. And it's just stunning to me. What about Buddhists? I really like Buddhists. Well, what about them? I'd, I don't think that Robert Jeffries has, has weighed in on Buddhism yet. I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to hear his opinion. Why? Just because it would probably be funny. <laughs> well, he there seems just like a crazy person. Well, this was what, what was really frustrating for me with the rise of the Tea Party movement when dad was going through his final campaign in 2010 and the whole rise of hardcore evangelical Christian influence in the Republican party. What does evangelical even mean? I always hear people throw that around. They're like evangelical Christian. Bob, what does evangelical mean? Well, cause I, 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 I don't, I don't know. Is that like, well, we can't turn to a newspaper, but we are sitting in front of, um, Dr. Google. Dr. Google says that evangelical is defined as of or according to the teaching of the gospel or the Christian religion. So Christian Christians? Christian Christians. Well, the Mormons, we've been called evangelical. You know, we have an evangelical church in that we go out and we evangelize. We try to get converts. We proselytize. And so in the broadest definition of what evangelical means... Uh, we are included in that, but evangelical has taken on a specific definition of a certain Protestant tradition in the Christian movement that uh, that is strong in the Bible Belt, Bible belt that's strong in the South. Uh, an evangelical Christian is someone who historically has, uh, well, not to get too theological in a political podcast. Ooh, <laughs> Controversy alert. Right, right. Well, Protestantism believed that Catholicism 
and papal authority was unnecessary and even oppressive. And so they broke away from, from the church. And, and the evangelical tradition is very, very strong about the idea that all you need to do is confess your belief in Jesus Christ and you are saved. And there is nothing else that you need to do beyond that. And the Mormons and the Catholics and a few other traditions uh, tend to complicate that in terms of how evangelicals perceive it. And the evangelicals aren't all that upset with the Catholics anymore compared to the Mormons. I think it's just because the Catholics have been around long enough that they're tired of beating up on them and they want to find somebody else to beat up on. But, you know, it was just stunning to me that during the 2010 campaign, and particularly when, when Mitt Romney was the presidential nominee in 2012, how uh, open bigotry against Mormons was acceptable. It's just fine to talk about how Mormons are straight from the pit of hell and how terrible that is. And you had the Book of Mormon musical coming out around the same time of that. Uh, okay, but the music from that is like pretty good, honestly. Have you heard it? Yes. <laughs> I, I got in trouble for writing about that with the Deseret News. Oh, really? Well, I wrote a big article that just said, I, I said, this is offensive stuff, and it should be offensive not just to Mormons. It should be offensive to anybody. You know, the whole song about... This is the fun little, it's the Hakuna Matata parody. You yeah. know that song? Yeah. I don't even remember what they say, but they're all singing it. And it sounds like Hakuna Matata. And they say, well, what does that mean? Well, it's, it means that they're flipping off the heavens. It's a, I, I can't even paraphrase it in this podcast. Yeah, you'd get in trouble. It's really offensive. And so my article was, this should be offensive to all people of goodwill, not just to Mormons. And I admitted in there, I said, now, to be candid, I've never seen the show on stage. I've read the script. I have heard all of the music. And, and I have talked to people who were in the original cast. There was actually a guy when I was up at Pioneer Theater Company who was in the original cast. And so I said, so I said that's where my... And, and it just exploded with comments from people who said, how can this guy write a review of a play he hasn't even seen? That's kind of true, though, dude. But it wasn't a review of the play. I mean, here you are saying the music's really good. Is that a review of the play? No. Well, all I'm saying is the music is really offensive. Is that a review of the play? Have you listen to the, all the music? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I heard all of the music, and, and I—I don't, I, I don't know. I think that that is a really different um, issue than this pastor guy saying that Mormons are from the pit of hell. Like everyone has to be able to laugh at themselves. Right. Right. It's—it's it's, it's not well, like the Book of Mormon play was was like a nationally respected like person like this saying, I don't know. It's, it's a joke. It's a joke. Well, it is a joke, but it's a joke that's gotten a great deal of respect. And, and you say, we need to laugh at ourselves to their credit. The church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints took out ads in the book of Mormon playbill for the musical that said, you've seen the musical now read the book. And that, I think is the perfect way to respond to this rather than picket and do all of these terrible things. I mean, I'm not calling for Robert Jeffries to be arrested or to be sanctioned or anything like that. I just think we should acknowledge bigotry when we see bigotry and it, it particularly in a volatile setting like the middle East and the opening of the American embassy in Jerusalem to have somebody this controversial giving the opening prayer strikes me as a bad decision. Can we at least agree on that? Sure. But d does he do anything besides just say a prayer and then leave? Does he have any other like obligations or jobs? I don't think he has any, any sort of 
legal authority or responsibility, but the fact that this is the guy that's the vanguard for our message of saying, here we are in Jerusalem, America, and here's the guy who's going to kick it off. That sends a terrible message as far as I'm concerned. Well, we also have a president who said that all Mexicans were rapists, so... Well, we send a lot of terrible messages potato, these potato. days. Potato, potato. Potato, So that's the last message we're going to have to leave you with here. But thank you for joining us for Dinner Table Politics. This lunch, is Jim Bennett. Lunch Table L- Politics. Lunch Table Politics it's today. It's lunchtime. It's lunchtime. I haven't eaten any lunch. Have you eaten lunch? Yeah, I just ate lunch. All right. Well, we're going to go eat some lunch, but this is Jim Bennett. And I'm Abby Bennett. Until next week, we'll see you. Goodbye.